Good morning. Did you guys enjoy the time of worship together this morning? All right. So uh, I've been told that Wednesday in our Elevate service, there's going to be lots and lots of singing. So if you enjoy singing and worship, come out and join us. Uh, I'm sure that all of our regular members and attenders have uh, committed the Bridges mission statement to memory, right? Amen. All right. But for those who are visiting, here it is. Tom referred to it. The mission of Bridges Church is to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to the world. Uh, we, we say this shortly, uh, the, the short version, equipping world changers. What this means is we want to equip, we want to train, disciple people so that they can be used by God in their world. This involves both equipping people to grow in their relationship with the Lord, they would know the Lord, having renewed and transformed lives through the power of God's Spirit, and equipping people with with knowledge, with uh, understanding in the mind, with passion, desire in their heart, and with skills, abilities, with their hands and feet to bring Christ-centered change to their world. That's our mission. Now, we didn't invent this mission Equipping world changers is just one way to state the mission God and His Word has given His people. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 78, where the psalmist, his name is Asaph, focuses on the mission of equipping a specific group of people. His focus is on informing and teaching and training, equipping the next generation, equipping the young people, the youth. The children. Now, those of you who don't have children yet, or whose children are already grown and maybe out of the house, might be thinking, well, this message isn't for me. But I don't want you to take a nap quite yet. For, for three reasons, three main reasons. First, even though the focus will be on families and children, I believe there's something here for all of us. I promise... Because all of us is in the process of being equipped. Second, you may not have children at home, but what about your your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, other people in your life, other young people in your life who can benefit from being equipped? And third, yes, it's the responsibility of the parent to equip their children. And so there may be some more specific applications for parents with kids at home especially, but the church, every single one of us, must be involved in supporting and helping and praying for and equipping the next generation. So Psalm 78. Psalm 78 really has has two parts. Verses 1 through 8 is an introduction. Uh, The author Asaph gives instructions and motivation for equipping the next generation. And then in verses 9 through 72, it's a really long psalm, he summarizes Israel's history from the Exodus, when the children of Israel left Egypt, or God delivered them from Egypt, up until the time of David, King David. This summary illustrates and it reinforces the principles he teaches in the first eight verses. So let's begin by just reading. Uh, if, if you have a Bible and want to get it out, it's Psalm chapter 78, and it'll be up there as well, the ESV version. 
read the first eight verses. I'm not going to read all 72. I'd probably pass out from exhaustion if I did that. But uh, it begins, a mascal of Asaph. So a mascal, uh, I'll just pause here real quick, is a musical term of some kind. And so uh, the, the, the theologians aren't even sure exactly what it means, but it's some kind of musical term. So Psalm 78 is a very long instructional song. Can you imagine singing 72 verses? Verse 8, he writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Listen up. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Ooh. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. It goes on. It's the children and the children of the children. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. Then he goes on in 9-72 through 72 and, and talks about these fathers who were not faithful from Exodus to David. But in this introduction to the psalm, Asaph tells his readers what he's going to do and why he's doing it. And his focus is on the next generation or even the generations after that. To the unborn. He's thinking in, in advance and ahead. He's giving instructions for how and why to equip these generations to come. So first, let's see what he says about how, uh, how to equip the next generation. That's the first point. Number one, equip by teaching God's Word. Equip by teaching God's Word. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. God has given to his people, Jacob, Israel, a testimony, truth, a history, of who He is and what He does, what He's done. And He's also given them the law. We have went through some of that in our, in our reading through the Bible this year. He's went through the law. He's given the law to guide and direct them in the ways of righteousness. How to live. How shall we live as God's holy people? This is how I've given you my law. So God in His Word has given both law and testimony to who He is. Verse 5 continues, "...which He commanded our fathers to teach their children." The Word of God commands the people of God to teach the Word of God to their children. God has given us His Word, and we're told to pass this Word on to the next generation. And this isn't just for parents. Maybe it's especially for parents, but it's not just for parents. We as a church are to be involved. We want God's Word to be passed on. We want to teach the Scriptures to the coming generations. We as a church want to see that happen here and just in the world. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7, the, the, the psalmist refers to the fact that this has been commanded in God's Word. And he's really referring back to passages like De- Deuteronomy 6, 6-7. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your hearts. God says to His people, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your 
houses and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. When do we teach God's Word to our children? All the time. All the time. All day, every day. When you're sitting in the house, when you're playing in the yard, when you're riding in the car, when you're going to bed, when you're waking up, always diligently teach God's Word to your children. Which means what? Which means what, church? What does that say? What's the corollary? I can say this word. Corollary. Corollary is a word. I have a math degree. I know what I'm saying. It's like a, a, a proof. A theory. What's the correlation for you English people? I use the math term. Uh, what's the coral, correlation to the fact that we must teach our children the Word of God? We must know the Word of God. Amen. It means that we must know the Word of God ourselves. Not that we have to be seminary graduates, but that we are too, we too, are in the process of being taught the Word of God. We are learners and students of God's Word always. Why? So that among other things, we might teach it to our children. And so that, what that means is, uh, you know, some people think, I hope I don't step on anybody's toes, some people think you come to church to be entertained and even motivated. And I'm not saying that that's not possible. It's less possible with me up here, but it's, it's possible. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you come to church, uh, at least this part of church, to learn about God and His Word. And so, if you haven't thought about this before, I don't, I don't, you might want to take notes. If you ever went to school, if you ever, uh, uh, we don't give tests here, maybe we should. <laughs> but if it, you, this is to learn. This is about life and God, and it's more important than anything you learned in, in any schooling you take. You might want to... Th- just think about that, knowing God's Word. This time, and this isn't the only time, you have your small groups, you have uh, your personal study, you have other things, books, ways to learn about God's Word, study God's Word. And in this psalm, Asaph highlights what I believe are really the two most important things we need to know and that we need to teach our children. He introduces them in, in the first eight verses, and then he illustrates them in the next 64. First, we need to warn them, warn our children, and be warned ourselves against sinful rebellion. Look back, look back at verses 2 through 4. Asaph says, I will open my mouth in a parable, a parable, a story, a proverb that contains wisdom for life. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. In verses 9 through 72, Asaph is going to tell the dark and difficult things from the past, the sinful secrets that have been passed down from previous generations, from the Exodus all the way to his time. Asaph lived at the time of David. In verse 4 he says, We will not hide them from our children. Asaph understands that children need to hear about the failures of their fathers. They need to be warned against doing the same sinful things that previous generations did. That's why it says in verse 8, verse 8, it's a warning that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. 
That's what we've been reading, isn't it, in, the, in our Scripture from Genesis, from the fall, all the way up to David, Judges, the cycle of rebellion against God. So then in verses 9-72, through 72, over and over, again like we saw in Judges, we read how God's people turned from Him. Asaph warns his readers of the failures of their fathers. Here's a sample out of those verses. I'm going to go quick here. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They did not believe in God and did not trust His, his saving power. Now, Asaph also says that some, sometimes they did get it. Sometimes they repented and, and sought after God. When did they repent? Verse 34, when He killed them. They sought Him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But it doesn't last long. The next verse, verse 36, they lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. They repent for a time, but then the cycle continues. They tested and and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. Over and over. They engaged in sinful rebellion against God. And the next generation, the generation Asaph is speaking to and all the generations to follow, needs to know the failures of their fathers. And they need to know the consequences of these failures. They need to be warned against repeating their father's sinful mistakes. When we see how the people of God sinned against God, we are supposed to learn what not to do. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He writes about how God brought His people out of Egypt. He talks about their wandering in the wilderness. And even when God was faithful to deliver them, they continued their sinful rebellion. You know the story. You know the story. Moses is getting the the law of God on the mountain and they're building a golden calf to worship. God delivers them, and they rebel. And in verse 11, Paul concludes of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, read these Old Testament stories, and when you read them, realize you have the same potential for sinful rebellion that the people you're reading about did. Warning the same thing could happen to you. God has given us examples in His Word to warn us away from sin. So we can, through through teaching God's Word, warn each other. We can warn our children. There are dreadful, deadly consequences when you sin against a holy God. Sinning against God leads to destruction and judgment. Judgment is real. I think this is so important for us to get. Especially in our, uh, what, I, what I think is a uh, kids, I want my kids to like me culture that we live in. I wish that that was the culture I lived in when I was a kid. My parents really didn't care if I liked them or not. Let me just be clear. You know, 
But nowadays, that seems to be the way it is. We are very, we are very happy to talk to, as believers, we're very happy to talk to our children about God's love and His grace and His mercy, His forgiveness. And we should. We should. But we need to make it just as clear that there are consequences for sin, especially a life of sinful rebellion against God. Now, I'm not talking about we all sin. I'm talking about one that continues in their sin, one that isn't repentant, one that thinks, ah, whatever, it doesn't matter. We need to warn our kids that if they continually disobey and rebel against God, if they by their actions show they take God's love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness for granted, then what they're demonstrating is they truly haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not their Lord. He's not their Savior. For, for when you truly trust in Christ, Scripture teaches He enters into your life. He gives you His Holy Spirit that convicts you of your sin, empowers you to overcome your sin. He brings change, renewal, and transformation. But there is no assurance of salvation for those who live in continual sinful rebellion against God. No matter what they say. No matter if they say, yes, I, I, as I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus. I believe in Jesus. They must be warned that their sinful rebellion demonstrates a Christless life. That they, in fact, we, in fact, have not truly trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior if we continue in sinful rebellion against God. So parents and others who have relationships with, with young people, especially today. But maybe with, maybe with friends, maybe, maybe people you know who say they're believers, but look at their life. There's, there's no change. There's nothing different. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love, to confront and warn your children that there are eternal, lasting consequences to a life of continual disobedience to the Lord. So first, warn against sinful rebellion. And second, there's the positive part, the good part. Tell of God's glorious works. Warning against sinful rebellion might be difficult, confrontational. But telling of God's glorious works should be a joy. Psalm 78.4, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and wonders that He has done. We're not going to hide the sins of past generations, but we're going to emphasize the glorious, mighty, wonderful deeds of the Lord. We teach the next generation who God is. And if you really teach who God is, they're going to see glorious wonders. We tell our children that everything begins and ends with God, that He is the Creator of all things, the Sustainer of all things. He is ultimate. He's the focus of our world and our life, not we. We can't just teach our children convenient rules to obey, how to, how to share and how to be nice and how to be a good citizen. We can't just teach our children religious rituals to follow, going to church and, and praying before a meal and praying before you go to bed or even reading the Bible. These things are good. But without God, they're empty and, and meaningless. We must tell them of God's glorious works, who God is. 
That's what Asaph does in chapter in verses 9 through 72. Yes, in these verses, he, we find warnings against sinful rebellion. But the true focus, the focus here is what God does in the midst of a sinful people. The focus is on God. Here's, here's a sample. Tell them of his mighty, glorious deeds. He performed wonders in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and let them pass through. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them grain of heaven. These are the sinful, rebellious people. Also tell them how God, because of their sin, punished His people. He killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. There's still warning there. Tell them, even though the people were sinful, He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He redeemed them from the foe. Tell them how he delivered his people from Egypt. That's really the focus. Verses 44 through 53 of the psalm gives a summary of how God in his power delivered his people, bringing mighty plagues against the Egyptians. Tell them how he brought them out of, into the promised land. He drove out the nations before them. He apportioned them for possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Tell them how he judged the people for rejecting him and following after false gods. He was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on their heritage. And finally, tell them how God will continue forever to bless even his wayward sinful people. He built his sanctuary high, like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. I hope we get the point. Tell them who God is. Tell them what God has done, what God is doing. Tell them of His glorious works, His mighty deeds. Give them a picture of just how awesome God is. Make sure they understand His awesome power and His strength and His holiness. Equip by teaching the Word of God. And what this means, again, is that the Bible must be the, the textbook in our homes. What could be more important than teaching our children the Word of God? Teaching them how to play baseball or football or basketball or ballet, video games. Teaching them even science or math or geography or English or history. Certainly teaching all of these things is not bad. But more than anything else, we need to teach them the Word of God. It's the only thing that will last. It's the only thing that will impact their eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. This Word is the rock upon which our children and their children and their children's children can stand forever. Now, if you notice, Psalm 78 ends with David. If you read it through, we got to verse 70 and then 72. It just ends with David. Because Asaph lived at the time of David. So he couldn't go any further in his teaching Uh, the Word of God to the next generation. But we can. Psalm 78 is not the end of the story. David is not the end of the story. The Old Testament is not the end of the story. God's Word, His story continues and it culminates in Jesus Christ. Teach your children about Jesus. For it's in Jesus Christ that we see the defeat of, of sin. And we see the fullness of God's glorious work. Though every one of us has rebelled against God, 
we have done exactly what we read about in Psalm 78. We followed after false gods. But the good news, the rest of the story, is that God has not left us alone in our sinful rebellion. God's most glorious work is that He in Christ has come to live among us. Jesus Christ has lived a life that we could never live. A perfect life of obedience. And then Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin. He died on the cross as a substitute for you and I. And by turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus, we can have lives that are transformed. We have the power to overcome sin in this life. The power comes from Jesus. And we can be reconciled to God for all eternity through Jesus. Now that's what God's Word teaches. And that's what we have to pass on to the next generation. We must tell the good news of Jesus Christ to all peoples, beginning with those little peoples in our house. We must teach the Word of God, warning of sinful rebellion, telling of God's glorious works that culminated in Jesus Christ. And in verses 6-8, through Asaph then gives us the purpose for teaching God's Word to our children. We must, second point, equip for a transformed life. We don't teach for information's sake, we teach for transformation's sake. Let me say that again. That's worth. I don't know if I made that up or not. I probably heard it somewhere. It's good though, isn't it? We don't teach for information's sake. We teach for transformation's sake. And I want to point out three ways that this next generation can be transformed by God when we teach them His Word. This is our goal. This is what we are hoping to see happen in the next generation. We're hoping to see it happen in our lives. The point here today is we're hoping to see it happen even further, to the next generation. First, that they will know God in their minds. Their minds will be equipped. In verse 5, Asaph says that, that God has established His testimony and His law in Israel. God, through His Word, has made Himself known. He's made Himself known. These are my deeds. This is my law. This is reflective of my character. Why? Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. The purpose of knowing God's Word is to know God. We want our children, the next generation, to know and to experience God deeply. It's more than just knowing facts. It's knowing experientially. We want teenagers to have an intimate knowledge of who God is. Amidst all the uh, awards or scholarships that students might receive at the end of the school year, achievements, for which we're grateful for God's grace. The one that matters the most is found in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23-24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The Lord says, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For it, in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The most important thing in your life, in the life of your children, is that you know God. You know His character. You know who He is. 
You know His love, His justice, His righteousness. This is what we want for our children more than anything. More than getting awards or achieving goals, we want them to know the Lord God. We want them to know Jesus. So we, we teach God's words in hopes that they will know God in their minds. But it doesn't stop with a transformed mind. Second, we equip that they will trust God in their hearts. Their hearts will be equipped, that they'll be passionate for the Lord. Once they know God in their mind, verse 7 says, so that they should set their hope in God. The knowledge of God in their heads will lead to hope. And that word hope isn't, I wish for, it's a trust. It's a, it's a hope, it's a faith. I will hope, trust in God in their hearts. So we're not just after head knowledge, we're after heart trust. We teach so the children will believe that God is trustworthy. That they'll put their trust in Him. That they'll trust in Him to satisfy their needs, that, that they'll turn away from the pleasures of this world because they found a greater treasure in Jesus Christ, that they'll sell all of their possessions for that one treasure they find in the field. We hope. We, we hope that their hearts will belong to God. And third, we hope and we pray that they will obey God in their lives that their hands and their feet and their actions and their thoughts will be equipped. Verse 7 continues, and, do not, and, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We teach them God's Word because we don't want them to forget His works. And we want them to keep His commandments. To not be like their fathers. And hopefully their fathers are, are good examples. But for these people, at this time, their fathers were bad examples. Rebellious examples. That the generation before them had rebelled over and over again. Their hearts were not steadfast. Their spirits were not faithful but we want them to keep His commandments faithfully. Don't we long for children and students from our homes and from our body uh, to finish high school equipped to walk into the world knowing and loving and obeying God? Don't we long for that? Knowing God in a way that some uh, atheistic professor at college can't just shoot their faith down because all they know is just a few facts about God. That they have actually experienced God in their head and in their heart. Don't we long for that? Don't we want them to walk with God in obedience? Not just to survive spiritually. Not just to get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. But to thrive spiritually. Not just walking into the world, but running into the world with the Gospel. Equipped to use whatever gifts and experiences and education and resources, anything and everything God has entrusted to them to spend it all for His glory among all peoples. Don't we want our children to be equipped to be world changers? That's what we want. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray for and long for. And it's what we have to work together for. Amen? Right? But some might be thinking, okay, that's pretty lofty. How do I do that? I understand I'm supposed to equip my children by teaching the Word of God. 
so that their lives can be transformed. But how am I supposed to do that? I didn't go to seminary. I, I feel like I, I need someone to equip me and teach me God's Word. Now first, we, we need to know that you need to know that you're not alone. We all, even those of us that did go to seminary, need to continue to be equipped and transformed by the Word of God. So, so, so what I want to do this morning as we conclude is just to give some simple and, and practical help and encouragement, not just for parents, uh, but for all of us. As Brian Arts recently reminded me in our small group, he said, we are better together. This is true for families and for small groups, for married couples, for roommates. We are better together. Right, Brian? Amen, brother. So let's look at some practical equipping. That's our final thing, practical equipping. Four things, four things. There may be more. I'm just keeping it limited. Four things we can do to equip the next generation. First, this isn't going to be rocket science, by the way. First, read the word together. Hmm, who would have thunk it? Read the word together. We hopefully as individuals set aside time daily to read God's word. And we need to do the same thing with one another. With our children. We, we may need to use, depending on age, I mean, you have to adjust this to your children, their age. We may need to use different, easier translations or depending on their age, using a, a Bible with a, uh, that's appropriate. I remember when our kids were small, we read to them from Bibles with a lot of pictures. Pictures are good. But whatever you do, include your children in reading God's Word with you. Read a few verses, a chapter, a story. Now beyond reading together, we can also study the Word together. Now we're getting, starting to feel, oh, this is a little uncomfortable. What does that look like? Well, it looks like reading the Word together, but it includes taking the time to examine the Word to ask some questions about what this means and how it applies to our lives and the lives of our children, teaching them God's Word. And again, it doesn't take a seminary education to do this. We're studying together. We don't have to have all the answers. And let's get really practical here. Get, keep it simple, especially for younger children. Studying the Word together simply means we read a portion of the Bible, a verse, a chapter, a story, And then we ask some simple questions. I've included five. These aren't the only questions. These are just five I've included here that I think would be helpful. These may need to be adjusted depending on the age of your children, but something like this. What does this passage teach us about God? What does it say about God here? What does this passage teach teach us about people, about you, about us? What does this passage teach us about Jesus? Or if Jesus isn't specifically talked about, how does this passage point to Jesus? What does this passage teach us about obedience? Are there things we need to obey? Are there commands here for us? And finally, how does this passage apply to your life? What do we need to do? Is there something we need to do coming out of this passage? So just read a passage. Go through a book of the Bible. You know, pick a... Pick a, maybe, the, maybe the Gospel of Mark. Maybe follow the examples of those, what were they, Catalinistos? I don't know. I'm, I lost the people. You know, Mark, it's a good, it's the shortest gospel, and it's got all the information there. Read a, read a portion, a paragraph, a chapter, and ask these questions, and, and just see what happens. See what happens. 
It's not difficult. It may involve a little preparation, depending on the passage. You should probably read through the passage beforehand. And if you have questions, maybe, maybe you need a, a, a thing called a study Bible. A study Bible is really cool. It has the Bible and then off to the side right there, a simple, very simple commentary ask, answering some of the basic questions. Or maybe you need to just get a, a simple commentary. Maybe you can ask your small group leader if you, there's something you don't understand. Maybe you can ask your pastor. That's what he gets paid for. Just ask him, you know, I don't really get this passage. Give me a call. I'm happy to talk about the Bible. And I'm happy to help you. Uh, if, if this is something you want to do in your family, I'm happy to help you with this. But really, the key is just to start, to see how it goes. And to be persistent as well, especially with the little ones. I, I uh, was talking to my kids the other night about our times when they were smaller, and they have some memories of uh, a dad who got upset sometimes because they were just, uh, wouldn't listen to me. Dang it. And so you need to have some grace. I've mellowed in my, I, I, I plan to do better with my grandchildren. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and then uh, once you're reading and studying, what about trying to memorize the word together? Putting God's word in your mind that you might, it, it might impact your heart and your hands. Pick a key verse from a, a passage or a book you're reading. Have everyone memorize it together. Make, make it a game even. A competition is healthy in some ways. The first one to memorize this week's or this month's verse gets to pick a, a movie we will watch as a family. Or go to a, a, a restaurant or pick a meal or, or something. If you have more than one kid, if you only have one kid, well, they win every time. That's good. Reading, studying, memorizing God's Word together. What could be more important? What could be more important than that? Now, one final important practical thing to do together. Conclude with this. This isn't directly mentioned in our psalm, but I I assure you it's biblical and it's important. And that's letter D in your notes. Pray together. So out of your time in God's Word, learning about Him, learning from Him, our natural response should be to pray to Him. Pray with your family. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your children, with your roommates, if you're still in that situation. Pray together. And I have a cross stick, an acrostic to to help you with this. It is P-R-A-Y. Have you ever heard of it? Have you heard of that acrostic? I got it from uh, David Platt. How many went and saw David Platt Wednesday? I wasn't able to make it, but it was, I heard it was, it was good. I got this from, from uh, something he had written. Don't, but I don't know if he invented it or not. Anyway, the P is for praise. Maybe we know the Acts acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I, that's a good one. I like this one. The P is for praise. Praise God in your time with your children. Thank Him. Worship Him for who He is and what He's done in your lives. Teach your children to have an attitude of gratitude, especially towards God. To look around them, to be thankful for their toys, and to be thankful for this ice cream, and to be thankful to God for for putting chocolate in the world. Amen, brother. God is to be worshipped and praised. That's the P. The R is for repent. This might be a little difficult in a group situation, but, but let your kids know, let your kids know that you sin and you need to repent before God. 
Give them an opportunity to confess and repent of their, as small children even. Make it a habit to confess to God and to repent of their sins, that it just becomes what they do. Help them to understand God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness for those who confess and repent and trust in Him. So R is repent. The A is to ask. To ask God to meet your needs. To pray for each other. Ask your kids how you can pray for them. Tell them how they can pray for you. Pray for a missionary. Pick a missionary that your family's going to pray for. Pray for the needs of the world. There's a, there's a book, and you can even look up a website, Operation World. It has the countries of the world. Pick a country. We're going to focus uh, for this month on this country, and we're just going to say a, a, a little prayer for the, this country, for the Christians in this country who are maybe suffering. I mean, it, it'll just open your kids' minds to the world. American kids tend to not know much about the rest of the world. Pray for the needs of your church, your pastors, especially me. Just kidding. Your elders. Pray for those that lead you spiritually. Pray for the needs of your neighbors and your city and your nation. Pray for those you know who don't know Christ, that they would come to know Christ. There are many things to pray for. And and, and the nice thing is, one of the things I learned a long time ago, if you take a Take a sheet of paper and you fold it into force. And you do the front and the back. You've got eight little rows, eight little columns. And you mark one every day. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then you write in those columns just different things you're going to... So you don't have to feel overwhelmed. You know, on Monday, I'm going to pray for this missionary. On Tuesday, I'm going to pray for uh, the president. On Wednesday, I'm going to pray for my pastor, you know, and you put different things in the columns. That makes sense? Ask God and spread it out so you're not, oh, what am I going to pray for today? Then finally, why? Why stands for yield. Yield as a, as, a, as a family, as individuals, yield your life to the Lord. Saying to the Lord, use us, Lord, use our family however you see fit. Not our will, Lord, but yours be done in our lives. Okay? So I'd encourage you to begin implementing, you know, these kind of things in your family life, these four practical things, all of which will help to equip both you. I mean, uh, if you're the, the leader, the teacher, the mom and the dad, of the, ch- you're going to learn a lot too. You're going to learn a lot too. All of which will help to equip our children so that our families and our other, in our other relationships, we might be a church that's equipping the next generation. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't thank all of those who work with our kids even now, our kids and our youth, Ashley and Emily with our kids and Anthon with our youth and so many others who volunteer. This is an important part. This is an important part of church that you can bring your kids and they can be equipped, grown up in the Lord with your, you know, you're the responsible one as the parents, but we come alongside you. And if you got Emily's uh, recent email, you know that our kids' ministry is, is even growing, growing, doubling from about in the last year from about 10 kids to 20. That's pretty cool. 
And I can't help but think that maybe one final application, just so you know, Emily didn't ask me to say this. It, it was my own idea. Uh, uh, one my final application of this psalm is to consider volunteering to help in our kids' ministry. Caring for them, teaching them, equipping them, allowing God to use what He's taught you in your life and passing it on to the next generation, the kids in this church, equipping them to be world changers. So would you think about applying God's Word from Psalm 78 by volunteering to help equip the next generation at Bridges Church? This is certainly where our mission begins, right? With these little kids running around. Sometimes bugging us, but they're going to grow up to be uh, the leaders of the next generation. So would you pray with me to that end? Father God, thank You for Your Word and the encouragement we find in it. The truth... Lord, that we as a people are to be equipping the next generation. Lord, if we didn't do that, uh, this would end. Your gospel wouldn't continue on. So, Lord, I pray you would help us. Help us as parents, as Sunday school teachers, as teachers out in the world, as grandparents, as uncles and aunts. Lord, wherever we have contact with the next generation, Lord, help us uh, to take time to, to equip them. Lord, I pray specifically even now for parents with, with children at home. Lord, help them to even begin to, to think about how can I begin to implement some of these things, some of these practices, reading and studying and memorizing God's Word, praying together as a family. Lord, give uh, me conviction. Give us conviction and direction in that. In Christ's name, amen.